Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know, we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because, well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. We sure do. So, have you ever wondered why there's so much stigma, secrecy, and shame surrounding consensual non-monogamy, when, after all, it is consensual, and why is it anyone else's business anyways? On today's show, we're going to learn all about the research that indicates that consensual non-monogamy is more popular than we might have guessed, and how it affects our trust, satisfaction, sexual health, and happiness when measured against people in a monogamous relationship. Hell yeah, that's how we've been living for 17 years. But before we bring on our guest and get on with the show, we want to remind you about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex, but nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. So if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof and guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, you just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. You don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. It sure does, and so does today's show. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we are so excited to welcome today's special guest. Sex researcher Dr. Amy C. Moores specializes in studying consensual non-monogamy. She is an assistant professor at Chapman University and a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. All right. Dr. Amy, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle, and thanks for taking time out of your busy day for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited about today. So, uh, Amy, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about how you got into this realm of sex research and specializing in the topic of consensual non-monogamy? Sure. I wish I had a story like I knew at the age of six, you know, when (laughs) a teacher asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, But instead, it was just sort of curiosity. And that just kind of led me on this journey early on in graduate school. I was studying LGBTQ issues, specifically um, same gender, same sex attraction, And when I realized that a lot of people were engaging in consensual non-monogamy, saying words like, oh, I have multiple partners, or I engage in polyamory, or I'm in an open relationship. Um, And then I, as a curious young grad student, looked at the research to see, oh, I haven't even heard of these topics in my training or in class. Um, And I go and I search, and there's very few academic articles on it. And I was like, that is interesting, because it seems like a lot of people who are bisexual or just really interested in sex, um, you know, are engaging in non-monogamy, but are not not 
taking it seriously in academia, and we're not talking about it at the college level or even in research. And so that curiosity just kind of led me on that path, and now I've been down it for, you know, I guess 13 years now. Wow. Very cool. What's very interesting about what you said is 17 years ago, Carol and I found the Swinging Lifestyle on vacation at Temptation Resort in Cancun, and we were both world travelers. We were in sales and marketing. We traveled you know, thousands and thousands of miles a year. And we were just sitting on the beach there and we ended up being next to this other couple and he was massaging sunscreen into her tits. And Carol looks at me and said, don't even think about doing that to me. And we ended up being friends. And uh, one day after the next day, we spoke to them. They told us all about this world of, you know, uh, swinging and the alternative lifestyle. And well, one thing led to another. And three days later, we ended up playing with them. And then we said, how could two super intelligent worldly people not know that this world exists out there right Uh, stigma yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely we're going to get more into that when we get on but what is your main goal when you're doing your research like what what intrigued you the most that you wanted to find out about yeah my main goal with research is to really have it apply to something and make change meaning my ultimate goal of my research is try to destigmatize sexuality and destigmatize consensual non-monogamy to educate people to understand that there are different options to how you want to navigate your intimate life and then i also use my research to try to make some actionable social change so trying to change policy or national guidelines for therapists when working with people engaged in consensual non-monogamy. So I study things in the lab or on surveys, but then I also really like to apply it to try to make some tangible progress to make the world more accepting of people who express their sexuality in diverse ways. And how much control do you have over the content of the surveys that you send out or the types of things that you actually research? Uh, Typically all control, except uh, when I, I might partner with different organizations. And so for some of my research, I'm designing everything, you know, every single word, the research question, analyzing all of it. Sometimes I collaborate with other people, so they'll want to put some things that they're interested into the survey. And then once in a while, I'll uh, partner with a corporation or maybe a dating app. And so they're really curious about something. And then we work to try to find that middle ground of you know, stuff that's going to advance science, but then also going to help them figure out how to make, you know, let's say their dating app more beneficial for people using it. Cool. And while you do these surveys and studies and go through these questions, do you ever find it a little titillating? Does it get you like, hmm, this stuff's interesting? Uh, in, in terms of like, if it's like sexy, I, I think I'm so boring when it comes to research. I'm like, I want to know exactly what people are thinking of when they think of a threesome. But it's more like I want to capture what their thoughts are specifically. So I get really hung up on the details. It's not like I'm thinking about what they're thinking about. I'm just trying to make sure that I accurately get what they're thinking about, if that makes sense. Very yeah, cool. yeah, Very absolutely. Cool. <laughs> All right. So, so here's, wh- here's what the world wants to know, right? What is consensual non-monogamy? And explain the differences between poly, open relationships, and swinging. So consensual non-monogamy is a term that you'll mainly hear researchers or clinicians or therapists use as an umbrella term to talk about all the different ways that people might practice non-monogamy. 
And so under that umbrella term, you know, you have polyamory where people tend to have agreements around romantic and emotional bonds are on the table as well as sexual bonds. And then people who engage in open relationships have different types of agreements. Sometimes their, you know, emotional bonds can happen with other people, or maybe it's just sexual, or maybe that has to be done together. Um, sometimes these types of relationships, we tend to think in really black and white terms that people who practice polyamory are so different than people who practice open relationships or relationship anarchists or people who practice swinging. But sometimes behaviorally, people look really similar. Um, but those labels and identities can be really important to people. Mm -hmm. And is one more related to love and another more related to sex? Or are they all very similar? It depends on kind of how people are making the agreements in the relationship. Because if you take consensual non-monogamy at its broadest, it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure where people are trying to figure out, you know, what type of sexual acts or what type of romantic bonds or it, it can you even live with someone later or multiple people. So I think all of those things are up for discussion. Um, and it really just depends on the people in the relationship. Like, for instance, I have friends who are swingers and they're really close with another couple and I think my polyamory friends might be like I think they're polyamorous but you know it's, it's really up to how people want to define these things for themselves yeah and the way we live in the lifestyle our rules and um, the way that we um, the types of people we're with and what our internal rules are just represents how we live in the lifestyle there's no right way or wrong way to do it we always talk about the way we do it and that's what we like um, but there's many other options out there different permutations and there, combinations there and we we know tons of swingers who are in relationships with other swinger couples and they don't consider themselves in a poly relationship they're just in an exclusive swinging relationship yeah right and that's their right. definition that's what works for them we have other friends who don't ever play in the same room with their partner some of them goes on vacations with other partners and they do it separately and that's what works for them so you know there's there's all different levels of each of these different alternative lifestyles and like you said Amy it's it's how you define it and what's good for you and your partner right but specifically when you do your research I did have a question about if if you're studying non-monogamy but uh, what about like um, a random act of a threesome is that non-monogamy Right. So when I put my researcher hat on, yeah, I think it is. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a consensual agreement to be non-sexually exclusive with someone else. But the interesting thing is when a lot of times when I do surveys, I'll have to really carefully word it. If I'm doing a survey about threesomes, then I'm advertising it about threesomes. I'm giving definitions. And often if I'm trying to study people, people's threesome experience, I get a lot of people in the study who identify as monogamous. If you ask them, they're like, no, we're monogamous. But they're engaging in threesomes frequently, and they just don't view themselves as consensually non-monogamous or part of an open relationship. And so sometimes uh, as researchers, we have to figure out, are we studying the identity or are we studying the behavior mm -hmm. and how that might matter? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the other thing is when, let's just say, you know, I kissed a girl and I liked it. Does that mean it's non-monogamous if they're in a relationship, but she just tried kissing a girl? Because I don't even know if that's sex. Is that considered sex? Because it'd be part of a sexual relationship if she just kissed a girl to see what that felt like? 
Right. I guess, uh, you know, we would have to figure out first, like, what is cheating to people? Mm -hmm. And, you know, most people would say that kissing someone else is cheating. So then that would be a violation of monogamy. Mm -hmm. So again, that's like Mm -hmm. starting in the gray area of, you know, consensual non-monogamy. Maybe that's people's first foray. (laughs) Yeah. Well, a lot of times in the swinging lifestyle, it is, or the alternative lifestyle, it's something happens between the two girls. And, you know, one of the girls, says to her husband or partner hey is it okay if i kiss that other girl and he goes hell yeah right and all of a sudden they kiss and and they like it it's non-monogamous now <laughs> right because you now really kiss someone it. not in your relationship right 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 yeah it's very interesting how you have to really word things properly so you're getting the right numbers i guess uh, in your surveys and you're counting the right behavior for what you're trying to look for right and then figuring out like how that aligns with the research question I'm asking. Because mm-hmm. if I'm if I want to know about safer sex practices, you know, I have to figure out how to word it and what types of behaviors I'm looking at mm-hmm. or things like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because because in our world and we experience many different types of people who live um, sexually different. Um, when we go on the Bliss Cruise and there's 6,000 naked people, some are nudists, some are um, in exclusive relationships and are only there to be naked and have maybe sex with people watching them. So they're exhibitionists. They're not bringing people in. Um, but the labels don't really matter because as long as the couple is happy, healthy, and horny and whatever they're doing is strengthening their couple, that's what counts. And when you're doing your research, it's got to be so complicated and difficult to try and filter out all these people who look at things like yeah i had a threesome but we're still monogamous we just brought another person in to fuck us right right i always i always say that's like having a sex toy but a live sex toy it's not really the same as having a relationship with Mm -hmm. that person if you're just engaging sex uh, engaging with sex that's how we see it (laughs) interesting yeah yeah yeah. and the other thing is uh, you don't take an account for the couples that are just comfortable sitting beside another another couple fucking right beside them so even though they're monogamous they're very comfortable sitting there and and not worrying or they're enjoying the um the person beside that's very open-minded so do you ever include open-mindedness in your studies Oh, that's a great question. Um, I I do, but in a way where I'm trying to understand, uh, I've done a series of studies that looks at like what makes people interested in consensual non-monogamy. And so for those types of studies, people don't even have to ever engage in non-monogamy. They just, I'll usually advertise the study about like, oh, tell me about your dating and sex life. And then what I'm really asking is once people get into the survey, all of these different fantasies they might have or desires, or if they would feel comfortable, like these what if scenarios that you're articulating. And so sometimes I do look at that to understand, oh, if someone is, you know, high in sexual interest or wanting a lot of novelty or, you know, really progressive about how they view sex, then is that correlated with trying out non-monogamy or having a high desire? You should come on one of these vacations that we go on with topless travel, whether it be Hito, Desire, the Bliss Cruises. And, you know, just as a scientist, 
view what goes on because there are some new couples that come there for the first time and you know you talk to people are you in the lifestyle do you swing us no 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 we're not we're just here for ourselves and then you know she's giving him a blowjob on the side of the pool with 10 people watching and they're like well we're not in the lifestyle and we're saying well you know and you guys are exhibitionists you yeah. know you're putting on a show for so, everyone so you are in the you lifestyle you are but at a different level yeah. or if you're standing there watching an orgy going on watching you know like we call it live porn it's not something you do at Starbucks every morning. Oh, right. right. So right, as right. a voyeur, we say that is part of the lifestyle. It's not swinging. You're not sharing your partner, but it's certainly part of the lifestyle because you're a voyeur and you're standing right there and you, you're actually going to these places so that you can enjoy these types of things, yeah. even though you're perfectly monogamous in your relationship. So there is a lot of leeway, a lot of crossover and a lot of gray areas that you have to filter through, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting. And then who knows if we follow that couple a year from now, they might be like, Oh, yeah, we're swingers. We're just yeah. this type. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's uh, most people go on a long journey to yeah. figure out the labels that they want to use and their agreements. Um, it can and, take quite a while. And the fun thing is, David told you the story how we fell into this lifestyle, where, you know, we arrived at temptation, certainly as a monogamous couple and no idea that it even existed. And we left there as swingers so how quickly for us that switched right, <laughs> right? right, was, right, right. we found our tribe and we enjoyed it and we've never looked back so that was like from one week to the next literally yeah. we became swingers oh and you felt like that identity was really solidified oh, right after yeah. that absolutely our, it was oh, our world yes great yes. and then we just did a show recently with a couple who we met at Hedo who absolutely are not swingers but she loves having sex with another woman. And if her husband's there, both of them will suck his cock. But they're not in the lifestyle right. and not swingers in their world. In their de- by their definition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right, right, right. It's so interesting. It yeah. All of it this is. is so interesting. So, so Amy, how many, how many people practice non-monogamy in, we'll, call it, we'll say, North America? Yeah, a lot, a it lot. turns out. <laughs> um, so it's interesting because... You know, our societies are really obsessed with polling. Like I could Google right now how many people own a red car or, you know, lots of different stats. Yet these major polling places had never asked how many people engage in consensual non-monogamy. So a few years ago, my colleagues and I at the Kinsey Institute did the first study to even assess at the national level in the U.S. how many people have ever engaged in consensual non-monogamy. And we found out that one out of five people have engaged in non-monogamy at some point during their life. And so that could have been polyamory, swinging, open relationship. Um, but it was a clear, mutually agreed upon, you know, relationship where they were sexually non-exclusive. And it turns out that that is actually as common as how many people have a pet cat in the U.S., so a really common behavior. Uh, researchers, uh, Nicole Fair- Fairbrother and colleagues, also replicated this study uh, with a nationally representative sample of Canadians and also found that one out of five Canadians have engaged in some form of consensual non-monogamy during their life. Wow, that is so interesting. That's a lot. And so how big was a survey sample in either of those two studies? Sure. In my study, we asked over 8,000 700 people um, if they had engaged in non-monogamy and the design of it was to look like the U.S. demography meaning 
people had the same identities that matched up to recent U.S. census data. And Nicole Fairbrother and colleagues did a similar design. I think they might have had three to 4,000 in their study. And again, that reflected the Canadian demography. Wow. So it's a really sophisticated sampling technique. Um, so that you can actually estimate prevalence. It's not us as researchers just tapping people on the street or, you know, going on Facebook groups, have you done this or not? It's a really um, intense sampling design that tries to get people all over the U.S. in different states with identities that reflect who actually lives there. And what other things did you study at the same time in the sampling? Could you tell if it was more common in certain cultures, more common for men, more common for women? Or what else did you find out in the sampling? A little bit more specific than just one in five. Right. Great question. And I think we have this idea or this stereotype that people who engage in non-monogamy, like a sense of otherness emerges, like that person couldn't possibly be attending the same church or going to the same grocery store or, you know, live in the same neighborhood. Um, But what we found was when we looked at the types of identities that people have, our gender, our income, our education level, what religion we have, what political affiliation we have, it turns out none of that is related to engagement and non-monogamy. So we actually found a pattern of no differences. So it didn't matter people's age, education level, geographic region, income level, um, their religion or their political affiliation. None of that was related Hmm. to whether they've engaged in non-monogamy or not. Wow. So we had I know we had just as many cases as like young college atheists as we did like older Southern women who live in the U.S. Like all of these cases were equally probable to have engaged in non-monogamy. And is is there a reason that you believe and you can give your opinion um, that it doesn't make a difference who you are, where you come from, what you look like, that you still like exploring this different alternative lifestyle? Yeah, I I think it's just, I think we have a stereotype about it because it's secretive and it's stigmatizing. And when something is stigmatizing, it's like, oh, someone other than me must do do it. But, you know, I, I, I just think that a lot of people are interested in sex and exploring and, you know, maybe have crushes on other people and they want to explore that and they can talk to their partner about it. Or maybe their fantasy, like you just had Justin LaMiller on your podcast. A lot of people, most Americans have fantasies about threesomes in group sex. And so it's not surprising that people are actually just trying to try that out in real life. It's not just living up in the fantasy world and amy do do you think that the um onslaught or the you know the the types of media that we see on netflix on amazon prime on tvs 50 shades of gray all these um media that that's being pushed towards us related to different types of sexuality do you think that's giving people permission to talk about it and to start exploring a little bit more Oh, absolutely. Uh, What the media gives us is like new vocabulary, 
contemporary role models, um, just doing education in a way by exposure that a lot of us can't do because we don't have that broad of a reach. Like I'm just a liberal arts college professor in Southern California. Um, you know, I don't have the same platform as celebrities like Willow Smith or Ricky Martin or some of these other people talking openly about their relationships. And what when it's shown on Netflix or these other shows too, what it's doing is showing that it's socially acceptable to talk about it. Right. As humans, we really stay away from things that are stigmatizing. Um, and when we do stigmatizing things, we tend to do them in secret, like maybe smoking or, you know, uh, you name a stigmatizing act. There's usually a veil of secrecy around it because we don't want to be ostracized. We don't want to be pointed at. We don't want to be excluded. And so when we get to talk about non-monogamy or see these examples in the media or have celebrities talk about it, it's showing like, hey, this is a part of everyday okay. human life. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So we've heard over the years that um, there are certain states where um, consensual non-monogamy is practiced more than others. And we have heard that Texas is number one, California is number two, Florida is number three, and New York is number four. Now, yes, those are the biggest states with the most population, but doesn't Texas stand out and say, whoa, you know, this, this shouldn't be in Texas because they are, you know, um, very... I'll say Republican, very churchy, very... Um, well, the Bible Belt there, too. Yeah. No? I mean, we were shocked. And, and when we travel, it is factual. We meet more Texans than anybody else out there. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it also speaks volumes and, you know, illustrates the work that I've done, showing that people in the South are into non-monogamy just as much as other people, um, you know, from across the U.S., so I'm, I'm not sure why, you know, people might live in California or Texas and practice non-monogamy more. It could be a population density. It could be a city thing. Um, but it goes to show you that non-monogamy runs across party lines. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's nothing to do with religion yeah. or anything else, like you said earlier. We always say that, you know, in the grocery store, you're going to probably run into somebody who's a swinger, but you wouldn't know because it's not like they've got it written on their face. They don't look different from anybody else. No, they have the pineapple upside oh, down in their cart. Okay, that too. <laughs> That's an old wives' tale, right? <laughs> but if you're sitting in church, well, the person sitting beside you very well could be somebody who practices non-monogamy. Uh, you just don't know. It's not like it's a, a look or a feel or something that gives you a sign. No. It's just something that you do in your privacy of your own home. And, and that at least leads into another question. Why do you think it's anybody's business? If we are having sex with other people, what does it matter to anybody? Why is the stigma there? Yeah, I mean, that's the question that honestly, like keeps me up at night. And <laughs> it's also fueling my career. <laughs> I, I think too, a part of the first question you asked me, like, kind of, why do I do this work? It's because I, I, I fundamentally don't understand why so many people have not only just like a, a raised eyebrow reaction, a lot of people feel like moral panic or, you know, sometimes violent towards people who express sexuality different from them. And that to me, it, it, it's never really made sense where, you know, these are people who are consensually and mutually agreeing upon, you know, 
having sex or, or loving or caring about each other or whatever agreements that they want to do. And so, you know, why are other people trying to control that behavior mm-hmm. so much? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I don't know either. I get it. So we pretty much know the answer to the next question, but we'll ask um, the scientist, researcher, doctor, um, is it the man or the woman who initiates and drives in these um, alternative type of relationships? Yeah, that's a good question. I And some of my recent research has started to look into that. What I think is happening is, um, you know, men and women who identify as cis are equally interested in monogamy. They're having fantasies. They're thinking about it. They might be thinking about it in different ways. Um, But I think there's a little bit more social leeway for cis women to bring it up in their relationship. Um, I think it kind of plays into the ideas about what men might fantasize. I think it might not be seen as... um, as hard on the relationship if a woman were to bring it up uh, before, you know, the guy brings it up in the relationship. And so I, I think what's happening is men and women who are in sensibly heterosexual relationships are both like, yes, I would love to try this. But I think women are just more likely to bring it up um, because we kind of have a little bit more fluidity around women's sexuality in our culture, meaning like, it's not as stigmatized for women to make out with other women or maybe want to explore another threesome insofar as another, you know, woman presented person is in the relationship or if the woman is the center of attention where, you know, men bringing it up, I think it might threaten that relationship a little bit more coming from the woman. Mm -hmm. I think so. And I think, I don't know in general, but I think that women would tend to do a little bit more research before bringing it up and maybe have a background for the discussion and maybe a little bit more ease in discussing about it where I find men are a little bit more awkward when they're talking about sex, especially to a partner and they don't want to upset them or they want to share their idea, but maybe can't figure out how to bring it up. Um, so I think women maybe are just better communicators in general and that might be a biased point, but what do you think? I don't know. In our relationship, it's 100% driven by Carol. I might go out and find a couple that maybe we want to see that's interesting, but she has the Wait, final By going say. out, you're talking about looking online and yeah, a dating site. Online, but yes. even, even even if we're on the cruises, we're at the resorts, we see a nice couple. Um, if the two girls or Carol doesn't hook up with the guy or one or the other, you never take one for the team. And I, I guess guys are a little easier when it comes to, yeah, I can fuck her. And, you know, <laughs> I think I think he'd be cool for Carol. But um, we see probably, uh, it's probably 90% that it's the woman who drives, at least in our world, in the swinging lifestyle. And if she says, hell yeah, he's like, all right, here we go. And if she's like, no, it's like, you know, it was nice meeting you guys um, and look for another couple or single person to play with. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely female centric. Right. And I think that's probably a misconception that the general public has, too, that, you know, somehow like certain people are like controlling all of it like men are and like women are just doing it to stay in the relationships but i hear all the time too among people who are engaging in group sex and threesomes that you know 
women have so much autonomy, if not, you know, the final say in a lot of this. And it's just, it really erodes these, uh, you know, erroneous stereotypes that people tend to have about not monogamy. No, exactly. And by talking about it with educated people like yourself, that's how we're going to end this kind of stigma. That's how we're going to end these myths and stereotypes where men are pushing women into these non-monogamous situations when they don't want to be, which is absolutely not the case. And like Carol said earlier, anybody, anybody your next door neighbor, if, if our neighbors looked at us and said, nah, there's no way these guys can be swingers and then find out the parties and stuff that we put on, we're just, you know, a soccer mom, football dad, and that's the way it is. And you, you see that everywhere. There's not, porn stars aren't involved in the lifestyle. Um, well, sex workers aren't really yeah. involved in the lifestyle. They might because they have a great relationship, but the lifestyle is driven by middle America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just the next time someone goes to the grocery store, if they could just close their eyes and point at someone, that person might also be swinging later that night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. could be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't know. So just hang on a second. We just need to remind everybody that this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're chatting with sex researcher, Dr. Amy C. Morse, who specializes in studying consensual non-monogamy. Absolutely. And you know, Topless Travel offers the sexiest and most erotic vacation experiences from Hedonism 2, where we're in Jamaica, Desire and Cancun and in all the Bliss Cruise adventures, Topless Travel needs to be your number one choice. And their trips are all about pushing boundaries and exploring your naughty side. And their exclusive sexy host couples, well, like us, like and of course, uh, Party Mark, are always there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. Yep, and like we are here, you'll find us on many of the Topless Travel trips. But listen up, we're going to be back, Hedonism, in April for their Swinging for Newbies event, April 6th to 13th, 2024. So if you're considering coming to Hedo for the very first time, take the plunge with Topless Travel next April, and we'll be here to answer any questions you may have. For more information about all their trips, visit toplesstravel.com to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. And as a quick reminder, if you're looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible people and events in your area, you can go to sdc.com and use promo code 30314 for your first month free. That's sdc.com and promo code 30314. Um, This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We're Carol and David, and we are having a great chat with Dr. Amy Moores, all about consensual non-monogamy. But now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. We do. So Amy, how would you define what is a healthy sex life? Oh, that is a good question. I, I think a healthy sex life is one where, you know... People are comfortable exploring, uh, talking about what interests them, their fantasies, their desires, um, you know, and like, especially if that person's in a relationship, having a partner that's going to support them with it and, you know, not be coercive and, you know, really just have fun and try to figure out you know, what is really pleasurable for everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a very, very good definition. Now, when you were doing your studies about people in consensual non-monogamy and some of them who are having multiple sex partners or emotional partners, whatever it might be, you found out some information about how um, trust and satisfaction and sexual health and happiness are affected. So let's start with trust. How does having multiple sex partners affect the trust in a relationship? 
Yeah. So we asked uh, over 2,100 people engaged in monogamous relationships and then also engaged in consensually non-monogamous relationships to tell us about trust. So like how much do you feel with your different partners? What does that look like? And it turns out there's very few differences between the types of trust that people are describing, uh, whether they're engaged in monogamy or non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. So a good relationship needs trust no matter no matter what. That's like a number one yeah. thing that defines a really good, healthy, and happy relationship. So what about yeah. sexual satisfaction? Where did you go with that? Yeah, that, that one, I think we can all say is pretty obvious. <laughs> we found might report higher levels of sexual satisfaction. Uh, so people engaged in consensual non-monogamy reported higher levels of sexual satisfaction. And those what do you think could attribute to that? I think there is the act of novelty. So what happens in monogamous relationships, and this is a really, really well-documented finding, is that sexual satisfaction and sexual frequency declines the longer people are in a monogamous relationship. And people have theorized, uh, including myself, that a lot of this has to do with habituation. You just kind of get used to your partner, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but when there is a routine, when you're used to something, it's just not as stimulating or pleasurable. And you can uh, you know, tie this into food and other things. We habituate to things constantly as humans, and one of the things happens to be sex. And so when you engage in non-monogamy, there is just a higher likelihood that you're going to be able to engage in novel or new or stimulating things. And so you tend to experience just higher sexual satisfaction in those relationships. Mm -hmm. We absolutely agree. Now, also, I think satisfaction has a lot to do with communication. And I think that people in non-monogamous relationships are forced to have very good communication skills with their partners so that they can have a good relationship with other people and not lose trust with their primary partner. So I would probably tend to think that higher satisfaction means higher communication skills and more pleasure because if you talk about what pleasures you you're going to end up having a well i'll give you an example satisfied love life we, we had a five couple lifestyle party the other night and uh, carol was over here doing something and another girl was over here and one girl came over to give me a blowjob and i said carol can you come over too i thought i was communicating very well carol came over and I had <laughs> now you got a double blowjob yeah lucky you exactly was that not com- good communication yes it was i honey. asked for what i wanted and you know okay but how was your sexual satisfaction level with that double blowjob absolutely fantastic Okay, good. Glad to hear it. I was just giving an example. Oh, of course you were. Yes. Absolutely. How was that, Amy? I love it. Yeah. And so there we go. The the anecdotes to my research findings. It's yeah. brilliant. Well, one of the things I know I've heard and I've seen online some memes that say mon- monogamy equals monotony. And that can happen, right? You can get very monotonous. And, and then you, you need to find ways, whether you're in monogamous or non-monogamous relationships, you need to avoid monotony in your sex life, sex life in order to have satisfaction. And we so know that people, You just got to keep trying new things. Doesn't mean you have to bring another person into the equation, but you have to keep finding new things. And why do people swing? For v- variety. Right. Yeah, exactly. The variety is what helps build that novelty, I guess it must be, right? Right. Yeah. So what about sexual health altogether? What do you think is the difference between monogamous and non-monogamous relationships when it comes to sexual health? Yeah, so I've looked at this and some other researchers. There's this stereotype that people who have multiple sexual partners are somehow promoting the spread of STIs or they must be engaging in unsafe sex. But when you 
ask people about their safer sex strategies, it, it turns out that people who engage in consensual non-monogamy are consistently implementing a wide range of safe, safer sex strategies. So they typically have agreements with their partners um, to use barrier methods or condoms, tell their partner if some sort of barrier method fails so that partner has knowledge about how to navigate their sexual health. People engaged in non-monogamy are more likely to get routine STI screenings compared to people who have multiple sexual partners but do it in secret ways. Mm. So I've done a lot of studies that compare people who are cheating on their partners. So they're engaged in monogamous relationships. You ask them if they're monogamous, they say yes, but they're actually carrying out an affair. Um, so that's a group of people with multiple sexual partners, and I'll, I'll compare their safer sex strategies among people who practice non-monogamy, and always people who practice consensual non-monogamy are uh, consistently and correctly using barrier methods, getting STI testing, and then communicating to all of their partners about different parts of their sexual health. Wow, very cool. So, so, so I'm, I'm going to add to that sexual health um, study that you did because um, yeah. we spent 89 days at Hedonism in Jamaica two winters ago. Uh, we got away uh, before, you know, vaccinations and everything was out there. And the majority of the people who were there were either first responders who had just gotten vaccinated or uh, people who had just had COVID and we were very safe. There was only about 50 people there. So well, in, in some of the weeks, but there was right. some bigger groups and, in other and, weeks. And our concern was, you know, how do you play safely without getting COVID? And we, after two weeks, we figured it out. So everybody had to get tested three days before they well, went home. We were home. worried about getting COVID. We're always worried about getting STIs, but in this case, the added worry was getting COVID. Right. <laughs> so people had to test on Thursday before they went home on Saturday. So um, once they had their antigen test and on Thursday, they were negative we knew we could play on Thursday Friday and Saturday before they went home and everybody was safe so we narrowed down our play days to Thursday Friday Saturday and we didn't get COVID and everybody went home safe and that's how we added a little bit more of sexual <laughs> health and safety into our world with you know condoms and testing yeah and now COVID testing so that's my little story yeah that's absolutely true we had our play days when we knew the person is holding their little negative test in their hand we yeah. said okay we can play with you now <laughs> I love it. Because yeah. we were like so afraid of getting COVID while we we're in Jamaica. We just, you know, it was back then when it, it was, was so just early. Yeah. So early and people were really getting sick and were dying back then, which fortunately it's less severe as it is today when you get COVID. But yeah, we were trying to be very careful because we had not been vaccinated. And uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And it seems too like having those open discussions about STIs and whatnot can really help provide a framework around, yeah. okay, now here's this other health issue. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And of course, nobody wants to give not even a cold to a partner or a play partner because nobody wants to be sick. It doesn't right. have to be COVID. If you're not right. feeling well for any reason, you should not be playing with another partner, period, even your right. own partner. And, and, and in the lifestyle, you know, respect is, is absolute paramount and it comes to, you know, having consent and doing all that stuff, but it's also with taking care of yourself and not going into a play situation where you have a cold or um, anything that you might give to someone else. And very few people that we are with on vacation are ever sick because if they are, you they don't see home. them. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. They're being very careful and, and respectful. So on another point here is from your uh, research, what about the levels of happiness in that relationship? Okay. Our tagline is live happy, healthy, and horny. Right. So Amy, how important yeah. is all this related to people's happiness, which you said before we started this show, you were a very happy person today because your friends are coming to visit you. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
I am. Uh, and generally a happy person. So it turns out when you ask people engaged in monogamy and in consensually non-monogamous relationships to say how happy they are in their relationship, how satisfied, people, regardless of their relationship type, report really high levels of satisfaction and happiness. But there's something interesting that happens when I ask people, what are the unique benefits of engaging in consensual non-monogamy? So I've just asked people that question, what are the benefits of your relationship? And I've asked it to people engaged in consensual non-monogamy, and I've also asked that same question to people engaged in monogamy. So what are the benefits of your relationship? And then that's where some really interesting results are uncovered. People engaged in consensual non-monogamy are more uh, are really highly likely to say things like diversified needs fulfillment and satisfaction with getting my needs met in different ways and satisfaction with not feeling like I need to meet my partner's needs, um, like having that pressure removed. And then they have a lot of activity variety. They say that their life is really fun. They have a busy social calendar. They have a really great extended network of friends or partners. And then they also say things like personal growth and having autonomy and freedom to explore their identity. When I ask people what are the benefits of monogamy, no one in monogamous relationships mentioned either of those three things I just mm. talked about. Wow. It's not to say, right, and it's not to say that people engaged in monogamy aren't experiencing fun or personal growth, but it's not top of their mind. Uh. Where when I ask people what's the benefit of your relationship, you know, 30 to 50% of people were just saying, oh, diversified needs fulfillment, fun social calendar, personal growth, and not a single person in a monogamous relationship spontaneously mentioned those things. Well, I think that people who are in an alternative lifestyle is because they, they need it or they found it and they feel that it's fun. There's, there's reasons why they wanted to continue in it. And we say that, you know, the lifestyle for sure, the swinging lifestyle is for anyone, but it's not for everyone. Uh, and certainly... Um, there are people who are engaging in it who find the happiness, which is what David and I have found, the happiness, the variety, the fun. But it doesn't mean you have to be in an, you know, a non-monogamous relationship in order to find that. So I think it's probably one-fifth of all people like this kind of fun, exciting world. And it happens to be non-monogamy brings that quicker than maybe you have to work maybe harder in a monogamous relationship to find that same kind of happiness and variety and fun might be just easier to get and, there. And like we said earlier, you can be in a monogamous relationship, but explore your sexuality in a non-monogamous situation, the, right? We, we say we're emotionally monogamous. That's how we say it. We are emotionally monogamous, but we like to have different sex partners. And also be, being an exhibitionist or being a voyeur adds some variety and some spice to a relationship that maybe you don't agree that you want to bring another person into your um, into your couple, but you can do something besides the same old, same old missionary position on the left side of the bed for 25 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Now, what did your studies find out about jealousy? And I'm sure that's one of the things we get asked all the time. Aren't you jealous when you see someone fucking your husband? We get, yeah. we hear that all the time. What have you found out about jealousy? Yeah, that's the stereotype that people think like non-monogamy just might 
you know, has to be fraught with jealousy and insecurity and, you know, constantly getting mad about that stuff. And so what we did in this study was we looked at jealousy in two different ways. So you can have jealous attitudes, like things that live up in your head, like I feel jealous, um, you know, I, I, I worry that my partner is going to leave me. But then you can also exhibit jealousy in terms of behaviors, like I'm going through my partner's email. And yeah. to see if they're cheating on me or I need to know where they are when they're not around me and I'll interrogate them and ask them questions. So jealousy can be also behaviors as well as attitudes. And when we gave people these measures of meaning like questions related to attitudes and behaviors around jealousy, people in monogamous relationships scored really, really high, high levels of jealous attitudes, high levels of jealous behaviors. But when we gave these exact same measures to people engaged in consensual non-monogamy, they were reported really, really low levels. Mm. Like the difference was large um, between the two groups. So it turns out that people engaged in consensual non-monogamy, you know, experience jealousy, but on a very, very low level. Um, and it doesn't seem quite as, for lack of better words, toxic or controlling as the ways in which people in monogamous relationships were expressing it. And do you think that's because people in non-monogamous non relationships are really good at communicating? That's what I think is the underlying reason why it's happening. We haven't totally pinpointed why, but my best guess is that's happening. You have to really own, you know, you have to be on a good footing, I think, in consensual non-monogamy for it to work and for it to work for, you know, but uh, everyone involved, meaning directly communicating, uh, being able to reassure your partner and to, you know, really build a secure bond. I think that's, probably what's explaining this. And I know when we used to talk about what, well, what is the lifestyle? How do you define what the lifestyle is? We would always start by saying that you have to begin with an open-minded, strong, loving relationship before you start exploring into this lifestyle. Yeah, don't so go if, into it to try and fix it. No, but if you are jealous, you're not going to succeed in this lifestyle. So I think for sure those people who found out they're not jealous and actually want to have variety with other people, they're jumping into it because it's possible to be secure with yourself and not jealous of your partner and share your partner. Whereas if you are a jealous person, it's just not going to work. It's just going to explode right. all around you. Absolutely. So yeah, it's, but, I mean, it, it's for anyone, but it's not for everyone. Because if you're a jealous person, this kind of lifestyle is not for you. For right. sure. It can be hard. Yeah, or you need the, the skilled help of a therapist to work through it. <laughs> right. To yeah, to shed that jealousy, to get right. rid of the jealousy. Now, I know we touched on it earlier in the show, but I still want to talk more about the shame and secrecy around these types of relationships. And uh, it, it just dawned on me that I was thinking about this um, discussion that I had with a friend of ours, and he's not a swinger. And he was, you know, we told him that we've told everybody, everyone in our life knows we're swingers. So our friends, our family, our parents, kids. our kids. Um, everybody knows that we're swingers. And, and his comment was like, oh, I would never want my grandmother to know that I was a swinger. And I said, well, well, why not? And he goes, well, you know, she shouldn't know that I'm having sex with other people. I go, well, do you even discuss your sex life with your grandmother ever? Like, do you tell her about the toys that you bring to your bed? Do you tell her about your, your wife likes to have a dildo and, and a vibrator? No. So why do you need to tell her that you like to bring other people into your bed? It's not like you have to tell you're your grandmother if that's not what you want to tell so don't but anyways that was just a thought that came to my head when we were talking earlier uh, let's talk about the shame and the secrecy and and maybe how we can start normalizing this kind of discussion 
So there's a lot of shame and secrecy. And, you know, frankly, a lot of it is warranted because of the ways in which some of these cases are going into the court system. Like a family member finds out that someone has young kids. And uh, so there is a lot of shame and secrecy surrounding these, you know, relationships where people don't want to talk about it. Um, There was a recent study um, that found that over two-thirds of people engaged in consensual non-monogamy have experienced discrimination based on their relationship type. So things like, you know, really severe things like getting fired from their job or losing custody of their kids for engaging in non-monogamy. And then other things that happen, you know, more frequently in everyday life, like feeling judged and, you know, or a negative comment was made by their healthcare provider or by their therapist or by a friend or a family member. And so, you know, some of the reasons why people do keep this a secret makes a lot of sense because there can be very severe outcomes like loss of, you know, custody of kids if an extended family member really wants to go through the court system. Unfortunately, they can right now. There isn't any state or federal level um you know, legalities preventing that. Now, do you think this is because people don't understand how this lifestyle works or they don't, they're not informed, they're not educated about why people would do such a thing as take on another lover in their bedroom? Is it because of lack of education? I think that plays a really big role and just this misconception that, you know, if parents somehow have multiple sexual partners, like, that somehow that's harming children when, you know, parents aren't having sex in front of their kids. Like that doesn't happen. Um, just like that doesn't happen if people are happily married and monogamous. Um, and so I, I think a lot of that is just confusion about consensual non-monogamy. Um, this gut reaction that somehow it's like bad or immoral without, you know, fully interrogating that and why the person is even feeling that way. Um, so hopefully, you know, and research has shown that raising awareness and educating people on topics can help lower prejudice and stigma. So that's one way to help, you know, destigmatize non-monogamy is simply talking about it and raising awareness. And that's certainly one of the main goals that we have for starting our podcast five years ago. And I know we have a million listeners now, and I'm hoping we are somehow educating them that we're not weirdos with horns on our heads just because we are swingers and we share, you know, sex partners, that it is, you know, somehow uh, part of the variety of I'm gonna, our normal life. Normal life, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. normal is, is a big, big range, and yeah. we're just one part of it. Yeah. So let's lead, let's lead this into maybe you telling us a little bit about your role as a co-chair of the American Psychological Association's Division 44 Committee on Consensual Non-Monogamy. That's a mouthful. Boy, a, and I got it out well, you right? Did. Good girl. <laughs> Tell us about that. It is. And so I, uh, I, I'm one of the founding chairs, meaning we created this committee, and I do so with my dear friend and colleague, Keith Schechinger, who's a clinical psychologist. And what the American Psychological Association is, is it's the, I think it's the world's largest professional society for psychologists. And so we have a committee within Division 44 that really focuses on 
creating new research, uh, updating clinical guidelines and practices, and then also just raising awareness and education about the topic of consensual non-monogamy within the field of psychology. And so we do things that range from conducting research to also creating fact sheets and brochures for people who practice consensual non-monogamy that they can go and bring that to their healthcare provider. Because sometimes people might not know how to have that conversation with their mental health provider or, you know, uh, doctors and therapists aren't trained on the topic of non-monogamy. Most likely they have not encountered that term in their, you know, medical or health professional training. And so, you know, some of the projects we've done is to create brochures so that you can just hand it to your, your doctor and be like, hey, this is what I do. This is what I practice. Here's a, you know, brief 101 about it. And so they can just, you know, know more about you and, you know, kind of alleviate what people are afraid of having that really awkward or judgmental conversation. Um, and then in the committee, you know, we do a bunch of other stuff. Um, most recently, we updated national guidelines for therapists about how to work with people who practice consensual non-monogamy in an in, in affirming way. Before the topic of non-monogamy wasn't even mentioned in guidelines, mm -hmm. I was just completely omitted <laughs> as if people didn't, you know, engage in non-monogamy. And now there's a brand new guideline as of last summer. Um, so if a therapist was working with someone who practices, you know, swinging or polyamory, they can now, you know, go out, seek out this guideline and it has really um, clear standards for affirming care that the therapist can engage in to make their client feel, you know, welcome and not judge and help them work through, um, you know, some of the issues that they might be facing. Wow, that's cool. And what about protecting, like you said earlier, some people who might actually lose their job if it was found out, because that's actually what happened to David. But is there any legislation out there protecting people that they cannot be fired from their job if it's been found out that they are practicing non-monogamy? Right. Unfortunately, at this point, there is no legislation covering that at the state or the federal level in the U.S. Um, there aren't even, from my knowledge, corporate policies. So corporations have their own or any organization has their own um, purview about what counts as anti-discrimination. And so something I would really like to see is for corporations to start adopting this in terms of, you know, this is our anti-discrimination policy and having consensual non-monogamy be a part of that, that would make a lot of headway to help get around lack yeah. of state yeah. and federal level um, in the meantime. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's so illogical and unfair that it's okay to cheat and keep your job but if you're caught swinging, you lose your job. And we all know that um, Mr. President was caught cheating and didn't lose his job, right? <laughs> right. So um, it's, yeah. it's just things... It's definitely discriminatory. Things have to change, Absolutely. and hopefully they'll change sooner rather than later. Um, but I think with people like you pushing the cause, um, we're on the right track. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for all your good work, Amy. Yes, yes. All right. Final <laughs> final piece of advice. Yeah, we're going to get to the end of our show. We always like to leave our audience with something that they could uh, wrap their hands around and uh, talk about after you know they're finished listening. What would you say would be the top two reasons why people want to try non-monogamy? Oh, so there has been research on this. Big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> why people want to try non-monogamy. 
But I think that if people are interested because it just, it, you know, it feels aligned with what they want to do, then try it. If you're like, I could see myself having sex with multiple people or falling in love with multiple people or wanting to be a part of a three person relationship, whatever that is in your head. I mean, definitely do some reading and, you know, talk to your partner about it, probably see a skilled therapist to help you on that journey. <laughs> um, but definitely if it's a desire, do it. Um, I think another big reason why people might want to try non-monogamy is to, and my research has shown, is to go on this personal growth journey. Like a lot of people feel like they're, they're not fully expressing themselves or their sexuality. And so if, you know, that's feeling hindered, it, you know, one of the reasons could be it's because you need to try out non-monogamy. Yeah. And so you should go do that. Wow, that's very cool. I, and I agree. And that's so fun. Oh, what an amazing show. Thank you so much, Dr. Amy. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This has been great. And Amy, why don't you just take a second and tell everyone where they can find you, reach out to you and find uh, some of those amazing studies that you've done. Sure thing. So you can find my personal website, which is www.amycmores.com. And there you can find more about me. I put all of my research papers up there. You can also find links to the committee that I co-chair, which is the Division 44 American Psychological Association Committee on Consensual Non-Monogamy, where we post all of our resources for free in case you want to talk to your therapist or physician about engaging in non-monogamy or need any other sorts of resources, you can check us out there. Wow, that's great. Of course, if you missed any of this information, you'll just have to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests, including Amy, will have her own page with all of that information. And you can even contact her there if you have any questions about her work. Absolutely. And like we did today, I think this was one of the most educational shows we've done so far this year. We are learning more and more every week from all our great guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you know you can always send us an email at ask, ask at carolindavid.com. Alrighty, the end of another great show with another amazing guest, Dr. Amy Morris. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And as we do every week, we want to thank all our listeners for being here week in and week out. And join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I and Amy send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 